Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book In the Arena by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are on Chapter 10, Part 2. And then one day, January the 8th, 1950, without warning, John arrived. He had brought Ava, now graduated, with him. Oh, what a wonderful reunion. There was so much to hear and tell, and John had been held up by fighting on the Burma Road. But he had with him the coveted catechisms, hundreds of them, and other printed material. I told him of my contemplated trip to America to take Danny to school. He agreed, but thought if I went soon before the communists organized those distant parts, I might get back in again. But before Dan and I left, he suggested a February Bible school, inviting students from Luda and all over. The Cooks had now evacuated to America. Mrs. Cook had been ill. So there were no missionaries in Luda District. To our great joy, there was a hearty response, and the last session of RSBC was the best one I had ever known. One hundred students gathered, and when we sent them out during the weekends to evangelize the villages to the north, the response was almost unbelievable. Hundreds of conversions were reported each weekend, and the new catechism stole like hotcakes. The reason was an earthly one. The communists had said that the Christians were the only honest citizens in the canyon, but at least it gave us a chance to teach the truth to these who had never given it an unprejudiced hearing before. Little Nurse Ava went right to work on the medical side. With almost no equipment and only a very smoky charcoal fire to sterilize instruments, she did operations on sick eyes by herself and was so successful that her fame spread far and wide. As usual, she would only make a nominal charge to the lesu for her skill. Fifty cents or a dollar, I think it was. When they brought her a capon or egg in their deep gratitude, she turned it over to us, insisting that the family eat them with her. At the end of the school, Danny and I had to make preparations for our departure. It would be two weeks tracking through the jungle of Upper Burma. John offered to go with us, but with all these new converts to supervise, I felt he should not come. When Lucius offered to be my escort, we decided to accept him. The parting with Daddy was one of the hardest we had ever had. I felt myself that I would not get back. The communists would never allow evangelistic Christianity to work under their regime. John is an optimistic by nature, but when it came to saying goodbye for once, he could not force a smile. We left him on a high rock jetted out from the road, biting his lips in grim determination. And we set our faces towards the track that would take us halfway around the world. But that is for the next chapter. The knives of the scissors are like two dangers or two painful situations which to human sight might cut us in pieces when they finally meet. What is our refuge there? It must be to shut our eyes tight to the physical situation as the mere outward eye sees it. Our refuge must be to get absolutely quiet in the inner man so that God can speak. Then direction will be given. The experience may be compared to tightrope walking. The walker must be trained on easy, low ropes first. When he is trained to throw off all the glamorous outside calls and attend to one thing, his eye on that one goal, then only he is ready to put his training to the test in the place of danger. We must learn first today, now, in this smaller, easier matter, to walk with our eyes on the Lord only. Only then can we do it victoriously under the later high tension of danger or excitement. First I had to learn to fear running away before God's time had come. Then I had to learn to discern his voice from the hurry-hurry voices of the flesh and to hold on in steadfast patience. If I had run off to Burma when the Lozi Lopa scare came, see what I have lost? One, I would have missed seeing John. Two, 
I would have missed meeting Ava. I have never seen her again. She had to stay behind in China when at length John was ordered out of the canyon. Three, I would have missed the repentance of Ketusipa. Four, I would have missed the last wonderful RSBC session where hundreds of heathen Lesu were garnered in. These platforms or struggles in life do not necessarily make us stronger Christians. I want to be sure that this is understood. Many victories do not make a stronger Christian. It does give us an experience of Christ's ability to help us, so the next time it's easier to trust him. But it is fatal to think that we have become strong. Oswald Chambers used to say he feared to become 40. For so many once-shining Christians seemed to grow cold and flabby in their spiritual lives at that age. Maybe it was because they thought themselves strong and unconsciously released the flesh from the position of crucifixion. Platforms do not make us stronger Christians or better Christians, but they do make us richer Christians. Rich in our inner fellowship with him. Rich in our confidence that he will be our rock and our deliverer in the future. Rich in the relaxation of a little child who leans back on his father's breast, confident, secure, satisfied. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love of every love the best. Tis an ocean vast of blessing. Tis a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory. For it lifts me up to thee. S.T. Francis. We're going to move on to chapter 11. Stranded at the world's end. And now we are on our way to America. First came the Panama Pass. 10,998 feet elevation. We left Village of the Olives on March the 10th. That night, we slept among the rice fields by the side of Salween River. March 11, we climbed, pressed through the city of Luchang, and learned that the new communist official was due to arrive the next week. He would never have allowed us to leave, of course, so we escaped just in time. The third day, we were still climbing, but now on the sides of the great Pema Mountain itself. That night, we slept in a hamlet called Ir Techo, the last house on the slopes before the pass. And the next morning I woke up early. To my dismay, I heard the pitter-patter of the rain on the roof. That meant it was snowing on the pass, and the trail across the top would be wiped out. All that day it rained, all the next night and all the next day. My carriers, dear Christian boys, most of them farmers and olives, began to talk about going back home. Snow will have closed the pass, they argued, and the weather looked like a ten-day rain, after which the ground would be just right for the first plowing. There was no use trying to go over the pass. We must all turn around and go back to Olives. You can imagine how I felt and how I prayed. To go back to Olives meant that Danny would have to go through the communist ordeal after all. Imprisonment or internment, not to speak of the moral dangers from the village of Olives, two-thirds of which were still heathen. As a matter of fact, John was allowed wonderful freedom from one year after the communist officials arrived. Then he was invited out at the point of a bayonet and forced to track all across China, although exit through Burma would have been so easy. In desperation, I prayed, Lord, if this obstacle is from you, I accept it. If it is from Satan, I refuse it. And as I prayed this, an idea came to me. Boys, I said, if we turn back tomorrow to Allah's because of the weather, and then the sun came out, wouldn't you feel foolish? And you know what a loss of money it would be to me. Now let us arrange this way and pray for God's guidance. If when we wake up tomorrow morning it is still raining, we will take it as a sign to start out. On the other hand, when we reach the snow line, if it begins to snow or the trail is difficult to find, 
I will consent to turn back with you. I know that people perish every year trying to cross Penma Pass in times of snow, and I have no wish to endanger you or ourselves. But I found that if we go as far as we can, God often opens up the rest of the way. Will you do it? They agreed, for they were all Christians, and we really had a wonderful fellowship together. You can imagine how I strained my ears about the cock crow the next morning. There was silence. The pitter-patter on the roof had ceased. Throwing something over me, I went to the door and looked out, not promising. Heavy storm clouds lay low over the hills, and the air was damp, but it was not raining. When I went back in, I found Lucius making the fire for breakfast, so I told him to call the others to get up, that we would start out. No one looked thrilled. But the trail will be wiped out, Mama, after two days and nights of such a snowstorm, Lucius warned quietly. If it is, I will turn back with you, I promise. But let us go and see. I counted much on the fact that it was not actually raining, the sign I had asked from God. So we sat out, our host at this last cabin, the last human outpost before the final climb. She was loud in her protesting that we would never make it, which did not help the boys to feel any happier. So we began that climb, which would take us all morning. The sun shot forth in one golden stream before us. But it was only for a moment, and then it disappeared behind the clouds, and a thin drizzle of rain descended. We were climbing through dark, lonely vegetations, up and up. The rain stopped, but we were among the clouds by now, which, as you know, is like being in a fog. It's wet and depressing. I was riding our mule, Jasper, and Danny was being carried on a mountain chair, like a stretcher but a seat instead of a bed, on the shoulders of Canaan and Daniel. The lesu, usually so merry and cheerful on the road, were silent, and I was wondering if it was right for me to endanger their lives. Should I call a halt and turn back? I was praying for guidance even through the fog. Up above us on the rocky ascent loomed two black figures. They spied us as we spied them, and both parties shouted. The next instant they were down beside us, two Lesu heathens of the Luda district. They were returning from a trading trip to Burma and had just crossed over the pass. How's the top, our men shouted. The snow is deep, but we are a large party. You can find your way by our footprints if you hurry. Abe, didn't we first fellows have a time? Delighted that their lives were spared, for the trail would be easy from now on. They sprang on down the slope, passing us. When you reach a village of olives, tell Mapa you saw us, I called to them. We'll do that, they called back, and the cloud swallowed them up. Now our men pushed forward with new vigor. Further on, two more of this Luda party met us. It's beginning to snow on top of the pass, one of them answered with our eager inquiries. But you can make it. Watch for our footprints. There's nothing else to show where the trail is. It was now noon and all of us were hungry, but we did not dare to waste time making a fire and cooking lunch. I had one slice of bread left and a small piece of cheese. This I divided with Danny when we finally arrived at the top of a Penma Pass. It usually presents a most marvelous view, with China spread out before you on one side and Burma on the other but now almost all was covered with snow clouds. On the China side, the sun was starting to struggle through, but on the Burma side, all was dark and lowing. In fact, it was beginning to snow in tiny, half-wet flakes, which melted immediately as they touched us. The trail on top of the Penma Pass is but a cow path in width. It wounds back and forth on the level for a short distance before plunging down into the deep descent. We set more Luda Lesu shivering as they struggled up towards the China side but their feet had sunk deeply into the snow, marking out the trail for us. It was God's provision. We waited until our party was all together. 
the slower ones catching up with us, who led the way, and then we began to cross the pass. We had not gone far when Jasper suddenly sank to his stomach in snow. I had to dismount. With Samson pulling at his head, Lucius jerked him by the tail. They finally got the mule out and on the trail again when the snow was not so deep. I climbed on his back once more but heard a call from behind me. May we carry Danny Pickaback, Mama? We can't make it with this big, awkward chair. All right, I called back as Jasper floundered and snorted and the snowstorm grew thicker and heavier. So one of the Lisu carried Danny on his back and Danny carried the empty chair. Danny had a raincoat and a rubber hat on so the snow sleep dripped off him easily. He was most comfortable one of the whole party and cheered the rest of us by singing at the top of his voice. As for me, the snow melted off me and ran into my galoshes. Soon my feet were in pools of snow water and I lost all feeling up to my knee. I was soaked to the waist, too, for my plastic raincoat kept slipping off my knee. Of course, as we reached lower altitude, the snow changed to rain, and the steep path became muddy and slippery. Finally, Jasper could not keep his feet and began to slip dangerously. You'll have to get off, Mama, said Samson at last. So I jumped off, trusting that my feet would hold me up, although I'd lost all feeling in them. Lucius helped me, and so we continued to slip and slide and descent. It was half past four in the afternoon before we reached the pretty valley where Penma Village nestled. Pink peach blossoms were beginning to burst into lovely color against the new green of spring buds, and everything was shining from the recent rain wash. But nobody invited us into their homes. There are a couple of guest houses up the hill there, they said coolly, and pointed to two empty shacks, which did not look in very good repair. There was nothing to do but camp in them as best we could. We asked to buy some firewood, but what they gave us was green and smoked badly. Our bedding was quite wet in spots, and with a smoky fire, we could not get it dry. But we were out of communist China. True, we had no visa to enter Burma. We still had ten days' track through the jungle before we came upon civilization. And even after we reached Mayakinya, Danny and I would still be halfway across the world from home. There was plenty to think about, but at least we were over the pass. Next time we'll find out what happened and how they got home. I am praying for you, I love you, and bye-bye for now.